Amen. Well, wonderful to see you this morning. And we want to take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 13. And this is the second installment in a series of messages we're calling Unsolved Mysteries in our Matthew series, beginning in Matthew chapter 13. And as you're turning your Bibles there, I know everybody likes a good mystery. And when we think about a mystery, we usually think about a novel or perhaps a movie that we've seen. But the Bible also talks about having mysteries as well. And when the Bible talks about a mystery, it means this. It means a, it's defined as a secret not yet revealed. And so what the Bible simply says is there's some mysteries that are not revealed as yet that we're going to find out, maybe at the end of time or maybe even before that. There are other unsolved mysteries that we're not going to understand at any time in history, nor maybe in the life to come. But there are other things that God really wants us to grasp. He really wants us to understand. And the following chapters, we find some of those mysteries through what we call parables, what Jesus called parables. We see them revealed in our life. But listen to what Jesus had to say in this passage. In verse 11 in our passage, it says, to you it has been given or granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Now, it says right here that some people God is speaking to in a a real special way, and other times it seems like he's not. And so what's the difference? Now, last week we had um, 4,721 people in our worship services, and that's really an all-time record. And uh, yeah, praise the Lord. Some of those are missing today, by the way. But you know, you're, you're kind of impressed with that crowd and impressed maybe with that number. And the disciples were impressed with the crowd. I mean, after all, the crowd brings energy. A crowd brings a sense of importance that, wow, you know, if a crowd's this big, it must be, uh, you know, the, the, the movement that we have going on with Christ must be really working. And Jesus says, hey, don't be fooled by the crowd. And he begins to dissect the crowd around him. And he begins to reveal that there are four different types of people or hearts in the crowd. After all, last week, we had, as far as on campuses, we had 36 people indicate they received Christ as their Savior and Lord. Now, I praise God for that. Now, how would, however, one person hearing the message last week decide that not only they will listen, but they will also make a step to pray to receive Christ? And, you know, there were other people in the auditorium that were thinking, well, this all, all sounds fine and good. I, I may come back next week and find out more. Other people are like right over their head. All they can be thinking of, you know, is where's lunch? Why does this guy, you know, uh, keep talking? You know, I'm used to short messages and all this kind of stuff. And it just goes right over their head. Why is it that some people are here to receive it and some people don't? Jesus is about, Jesus is about to answer that question for us. For as we open up this parable, we find basically, we're going to find three different elements to this little story. And one of them is going to be the seed, or rather, let's start off with the sower. Jesus himself is the sower. He's sowing seeds in the field. Secondly, there's the seed itself. And thirdly, there's the soils, which is, represents the heart. Seed representing the gospel, or not, not the gospel, really the word of God. The word of God in our life is not representing salvation. You're going to misunderstand this parable, this story, if you think it refers to salvation. The seed refers to the word of God. 
And then the soil refers to the heart. So let's, let's read this together. It says in verse 1 of chapter 13, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And the great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables. Now a parable is an illustration. It's literally called, in the Greek, it's thrown alongside something. And so Jesus is throwing something parallel alongside something to illustrate the story, to help people better understand the story. But we're going to find out the same thing that helps one person understand the story confuses other people depending on the heart. And so as we look at this, I want to look at three things this morning. The impact of the seed, and we're going to be looking at the story itself. Then we're going to be looking at the interpretation of it. And we're going to skip ahead to verse 18, 19 and start there. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the implications to it. First of all, I want us to see the importance of it, the impact of the seed itself. Verses 1 through 9, we've looked at verses 1 through 2, 1 and 2, look at, look at verse 3. And he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds, fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose and they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some of a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, this was the, the, really the same day. He's talking to the Pharisees about the unpardonable sin. The only sin that you can be uh, not forgiven of is refusing to receive Christ or refusal of forgiveness of sin. The crowds begin to gather around. Uh, the people were impressed with all the crowds. And he says, look, you know, he doesn't say, look, you know, we don't want to lose these crowds, so we need to compromise things a little bit. And what do we need to do to keep the crowds going? And somebody says, well, you know, we could feed them more. Yeah, you know, more fish and trip, chips, that'd be good. And somebody else says, well, maybe perform a few more miracles. You know, we got to, I mean, the goal here is to get the crowd together. No, Jesus said, no, let me tell you about the crowd. Let me tell you that there are four different types of soils here. But first, I want us to see something about what he says about the seed. Now, we said there's a sower. That's Jesus Christ. Now, this morning, in fact, it really could be anybody. Uh, sharing, the God, sharing the Word of God. This morning, I'm a sower, and I'm, I'm throwing seeds among all of you. Now, in this day, what they had were uh, rows, and they would have different types of soil, different types of ground, willing to receive those seeds. And so, they just literally had a little uh, sack here in front of their stomach, and they reached in with a handful of seed and just spread them out everywhere. Because you never know where the good soil really was going to be. They had no way of really, really testing it. And so they just scatter the seed among everybody. And so what about this seed? Well, you know, Jesus could have um, chosen a lot of things. He chose a seed. A seed has a genetic code. And uh, the apple seed, if I can get this out, the apple seed has, uh, that I have right here in my hand um, is a lot different or a little bit different than the orange seed. How do I know that? Because it produces something different. So this is very small, but you can see these are not actual size. You know, these are not actual size here uh, on the screen, but those are some apple seeds. Now I've, I've heard you don't want to eat those. Okay. 
uh, you know, they're poison or something. I, you know, I, I read it on the internet, so it has to be true. But, but here's, <clears throat> really he's saying there's life here. Now, why didn't he use some other things, like the hammer? You know, the Bible is referred to as a hammer. It's referred to as a seed. It's referred to as fire. It's referred to as um, a sword. Why not, some of those, why not some of those things? Why not a hammer? I mean, you know, just, just hammer the Word of God into people's hearts and make them listen and make them believe. You know, and, and a hammer can be kind of frightening. You know, I can take a hammer right here and, and do like this and just throw it across the crowd, and everybody's going to duck, and they're going to say, wow, you know, call security. You know, this guy's gone crazy. But, but if I took this little seed here and in my hand, and I would just throw it across... Nobody would duck. You, you just fall to the side. I mean, it's harmless. No, you know, Jesus didn't take, excuse me, I keep, um, it's hard to hold these things. They're so small. And uh, Jesus didn't take the seed and just drop it. Boom! And all of a sudden it just goes off in an explosion. No. You know, it reminds me of um, one guy was telling me, in fact, it was my son, Brandon, was telling us one of his visits there. He said he had a guy come up to him. And he said, you know, every time he came, he said, wow, wow, it's just so wonderful. It's just so great. You really preached to my heart today. You really did. And he said, well, you know, I haven't seen you for three weeks. And he said, well, no, I had good three weeks then. I, I, had, a good, I had a good three weeks. And so he, his idea was is that if he needed to come to church and needed something, then he would come and get what he needed and, and be okay for a, a few weeks and come back just when he needed something. What he failed to understand is the Word of God is not a, a hammer that suddenly you're going to get something. It's like a small seed. And so a seed goes into the ground and you say, that's it. You know, well, on this carpet, that's exactly what it would be. That's it. A vacuum cleaner is going to come along and sweep it right up and you'll never know. In fact, I couldn't even find it if I had to. That's how small it is. However, if you put this in the right soil, put that apple seed in the right soil, what you would have is a plant coming up eventually, and then you would have some fruit on the apple tree, and it would be fruitful. It would be good for something. As a matter of fact, there's a, really enough apple seeds to really put apple trees all over Oviedo eventually. And what about Here's what the Bible says, in fact, in 1 Peter 1, 23. It says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. It, all through the Bible, it talks about an imperishable type of seed. Now, G. Campbell Morgan, a preacher of the, I guess, 19th century, um, went to Italy on a visit, and he, he found this um, kind of a famous thing, at least back then, about this grave. It was a royal grave, and it had a big tombstone, a marble slab, very thick, over the grave. But what they didn't realize is there's an acorn. Let's have a picture here of an acorn. Very small. Now, this is not actual size again, but I could take an acorn and put it right here in the middle of my fingers, right there. And probably the biggest one would fit right there as it fall, it's fallen off a tree. But if you plant that acorn in the ground, it's going to bring forth a very big tree. And that's what happened in this grave. What happened was the acorn began to germinate, and over hundreds of years, a tree grew up right through the grave, broke the marble slab as it was laying to the side, and grew a, a tremendous tree. There's enough power in one acorn to have really produce enough wood for the entire world's needs eventually. And so a seed grows very slowly. 
And then as it grows, it, ger- it begins to, to, to uh, rather germinate, and it begin- begins to grow, and the small things that start off begin to grow. And then, how do they grow? Well, they grow organically. They don't grow mechanically. For example, if I wanted to say, say I want to get more hammers, I want to grow my hammer population. How do I do that? I just go to the hardware store and I buy more hammers and I put it on the pile. That's mechanical growth. Organic growth is growing into an apple, this apple seed. I've got another one here if you, if you want to see that. You know. But uh, growing to that apple, that size of the apple, and it's growing organically. You see, there's a lot of people that really go through religion mechanically rather than organically. Mechanically would be, well, the Bible says that uh, I, don't, I can't murder anybody. Okay, well, there's a few people maybe I'd like to knock off, but I can't do that because the, the rules say I can't. That's mechanical growth. I'm going to do something because the Bible says to do it, or the law says to do it. Not even the Bible. The law says to do it, and so therefore, I'm not going to do it. But organically would be the Holy Spirit of God working in your life in such a way that you would say, you know, even if it wasn't a rule that I couldn't kill anybody, I still wouldn't do it. Why? Well, because Jesus has changed my life, and I love other people around me. And so there's a difference between the mechanical and the organic. So no wonder God decided to choose the seed instead of something else. As we look at this, I want us to see the interpretation of the story and move ahead to verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower, Jesus said. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart, this is what the sown, was sown along the path. And so um, here we find in verse 18 and 19, especially in verse 18, one kind of heart. And it's talking here really about a hardened heart, all right? In, in the planting of uh, the seeds, you would scatter along. Well, uh, you got to walk somewhere, right? And really, Jerusalem is founded upon rock. When they destroyed one civilization, they just, put, they just destroyed everything, piled on the stones, and uh, put a new civilization on top of the old civilization. And it goes up seven different civilizations, I think, or something like that. And so there's rock everywhere. If you walk through there, you couldn't do it barefoot because there's little pebbles everywhere you go in that city. Now, they were planting, and they were scattering the seed everywhere, but they had to have paths to walk on. What they would do is then somehow rake all the little pebbles over into the path to get it away from the actual um, planting of the seeds. Then they would plant, try to plant the seeds on the, the non-paths. Well, some fell upon the path. I mean, you're just throwing it out there. So some is going to fall upon this rocky place. The pl- place is padded, packed down because you've been walking on it. Now, here's a story, a part of the story, where the hardened heart, this is the heart that would hear the Bible, but really just not get it at all. I, was, um, I heard a story, this pastor tells a story about being at this uh, conference. And this young lady gets up and gives her story, her testimony, and says that, I went to church all my life, but never heard the gospel. Now, you've heard that before. And the pastor beside him was kind of a well-known pastor. And he turned to him and said, there's people in my church that have never heard the gospel, and I preach it every week. What was he saying? There's some people that sit under the preaching of God's word, and they just never get it. I remember when I was in elementary school, I don't know where I was. I was 12 years old before I even understood it, before I even received it. I don't know if I had a hard heart, just not listening, little ADD. I don't know. 
But all I know was they preached it every time I was there because that's what they majored on. Every time I was there, they would preach the gospel, tell me how to receive Christ. I never, never heard it. And that's the way you have it. You have people that come and they just refuse to hear it in some way. And so Satan is allowed to come along and take the word of God out of their heart. The Bible puts it this way. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit uh, says, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion or the day of testing in the wilderness. Now, there, there's several ways that you can do that. But basically, one way is just kind of an unrepentant heart. You know, you come and you, you've got your, what you like to do. You don't want to take your hands off your life. You're just not interested in any solutions in your life. You feel like you've got your own solutions, so you just don't hear it. Another thing is just simply refusing to obey it. For example, you come to church and you say, you know, I'm going to do something about that. I think I'm going to take a step toward God. And you leave this place and you don't. You, you just don't do it. And so it becomes more and more a hardening of the heart in your life. And then also sometimes it's just simply a, a really unbelief. You just can't seem to grasp that maybe there's something out there. God has something out there for you, and what he has for you is maybe better than what you have for yourself. So there's a certain amount of people that would say, not necessarily, by the way, 25%, doesn't say that, but there's a certain group of people in every crowd that are just not going to hear it. So what kind of heart do you have this morning? I mean, there's the big question, right? Are you suffering from a hardened heart? Secondly, a crowded heart. Verse 20, it says, and as for the one who's sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. And so again, this is not receiving salvation. If you think it is, then the whole passage becomes kind of confusing. It's the seed of the word of God planted into the causal core, the heart of every person. When the seed of the word of God is planted, if the heart is hard, it just sort of, you might say, bounces off. But here's someone who makes maybe an emotional decision for the Lord. And when they make this decision, they, they feel like, I'm, I'm going to give this a shot. I remember uh, being back in my last church, and that's a long time ago, but we led this young lady to the Lord, and I baptized her, and back then we presented everybody to the church, you know, afterwards, hey, she had wet hair and, and all this kind of stuff. She's standing before the church. Everybody comes along and shakes her hand, and uh, afterwards, I never will forget what she told me. She said, yeah, I decided to give this a try. And I thought, man, we should have talked about this before the baptism, you know? <laughs> but, and I said, oh, really? And I'm kind of stunned. Never talked like that before. And, and I said, well, uh, like I said, the next thing you need to do is get in a small group. And I, can't remember, I think we called it Sunday school back then. And she says, what is that, by the way? And I said, well, it's, it's a Bible study. And she said this. She said, I cannot imagine what my friends would say if I started going to a Bible study. Okay. What she was saying was, hey, look, I've got needs in my life. And she was in a desperate situation physically even for, for her life. And she was going through all this and all these trials in life. And she says, you know, I've never tried God before. Let me give him a shot. And really, the Bible would call this kind of a, a shallow type of heart. Now, under the ground of, the, um, of Jerusalem, in fact, all of Galilee, and there's limestone. 
And this limestone, you don't exactly know where it's all caked in. And so you, you throw some seed out and it falls upon this um, shallow type of ground and it looks like it's taking root, but it can't get past the limestone and the plant then dies. Maybe that's the kind of heart you have. It's just kind of a, you know, kind of a shallow thing. When you talk about, wow, you know, what does the Bible say about that? You got to be kidding. Man, the, the, the Bible's kind of a prehistoric document. I didn't realize that. Man, that's not politi- politically correct at all. What are my friends going to say if I say I believe something like that? Well, here we find a shallow heart. Then we find a crowded heart. Verse 22, as for what has been sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Now, one of the passages, I mean, this, by the way, this parable is so popular. I think one of the reasons it's so popular, we can all see ourselves somewhere in this parable. But this parable is so popular, it was put in three different gospels. And one of the gospels, it talks about greenery. And some guys would say, some pastor would say, aha, there's a sign there of salvation. But greenery is never a sign of salvation in the Bible. Fruit is. And so we find here that before the fruit can come, it's unfruitful, before the fruit can come, something else happens. The weeds begin to grow up around it, the thorn bushes. They grow with the plant itself. And when the weeds begin to overcome the plant, it kills it and it becomes unfruitful. We have crowded lives. We have to live our life, right? And so we have crowded lives. What, what are they? The world? And sometimes uh, there's, there's worry and wealth. All those kind of things choke out the rest of the Word of God because we just don't have time for it. We, we can't think through it. Sometimes it was uh, maybe the world, the world's philosophy, the world's beliefs. Beliefs always determine your behavior. Here in, uh, for example, a verse of the Bible that Paul wrote, he says in Colossians 2, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental principles of the world and not according to Christ. He says, beware of these things. Beware of the world's philosophy. Philosophy basically is theology without God. And so he's saying, beware of these things. Relativism, for example. Everything's relative. There's no absolute truth. And once you apply that to your life, then you, you, you can't take the Word of God as the Word of God anymore. Because, I mean, after all, it's, it's absolute truth. It's factual truth. Well, you have to reject that. Another philosopher, in fact, I was talking to um, somebody, I, I'm sure it was 15 years ago, but a, but a young man who was talking about, and he, w- he was reading these books, and he was saying, look, you know, uh, here you have the Bible and uh, in the writings of this book, and, I, and I've, I've read this kind of stuff before, it just confines God. The Word of God confines, the Bible confines God. We, we can know a lot more about God than just what's in the Bible. Now, I'm not going to try to strangle God here. I'm not God. I can't speak all for him. I know that he can speak through his, uh, his word. He can speak through uh, the Holy Spirit directly to your heart. He can speak through prayer as you're praying to God. I know that. But see, here's the thing we need to understand. God is the one who decides how he's going to reveal himself and when. We don't decide that. We don't, we don't decide, well, you know, I want to know God way out here. You know, never mind the Bible. The Bible's kind of archaic and it's for everybody else for the maybe the common man, and uh, I'm going to get deeper with God way out here on things that, you know, the Bible doesn't even talk about. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, 
you know, for example, what if uh, when I was growing up as a, a young uh, wannabe preacher called to the ministry, and I went up to my pastor, Bill Ricketts, which I didn't do, by the way, but if I went up to him and said, look, I want to be personally mentored by you. I mean, he was a busy guy, and I, and I just I didn't do it, but if I did it, and uh, he would have said, well, okay, why don't we do this? Suppose he would have said, why don't, after listening to the message on Sunday, we get together on Monday or Tuesday and discuss the message? And I said, well, there's one problem with that. I don't go to your church anymore. What, what do you mean you don't go? Well, look, I, I don't, I'm not interested in what you have to say on Sunday. I've heard you on Sunday. What I really want to do is get, get away from, I want to get deeper with you anyway. I mean, that, that stuff you preach on Sunday is kind of irrelevant. Never mind you spend 15 hours a week putting that thing together. It's kind of irrelevant to my life. And what I really want is this out here. I want to get to know you and your deeper theology. Well, that would be okay for me to do if I was willing to take what he had for me to start with. Maybe it would be good for be, to be mentored. But I can tell you what, if I can speak for him for just a moment, if the situation were reversed, I'd tell him no. I've got people who are really wanting to know the Word of God, and what I have to say on Sunday morning is vitally important. And so if you're not going to take that, wow, you know, it's kind of, I mean, don't you think if I did that to my former pastor that I would be kind of arrogant in my whole thought? God says, look, I choose when I'm going to reveal myself. And to think that we're going to know God way out here, we'll never know. We may never know him that way. Even when we get to heaven, there's going to be mysteries. We're not going to know everything about God. We're, we're very fortunate to know this much about God, much less all this. So we come to God and say, God, um, I just want to know you through your word. And, and we study it, and we study it, and we study it, because why? It is the Word of God. God has chosen, the Bible says, to reveal Himself through His Son and through the written Word of God. How do I know God? I know Him through His Son. But how do I know who His Son is? How do I know anything about the gospel? How do I know anything? It's the Word of God that comes uh, into my heart. It's the knowledge of God, the knowledge of the gospel, the conviction of the gospel. All that comes from how God has chosen to reveal himself to us through communication through the word of God. And anyway, those people who may write that kind of thing, what, they, what were they trying to tell me or trying to tell this guy 15 years ago? Look, you can't trust words, but I'm telling you, you can't trust words by using words. That's kind of ironic, don't you think? Just thought I'd throw that out. And so, but my, my point is this. God chooses how he's going to reveal himself to us, and he's chosen to do it through the written and spoken word of God. Now, maybe it comes to a point in your life where you say, God, I've, I've learned everything I know about this Bible. I, I know everything. In fact, uh, I've memorized it, and I, I know every application. I know everything about it, and now I want to know more. Would you? Well, I think you came to that point, ever came to that point. God would say, sure, I'd like to show you more. But right now, he's chosen to speak through his word. So maybe this morning, you have a crowded heart through the world or a crowded heart through worldly care. Just simply saying, look, I've got a job to do. You, know, you go out of this church and you think, I've got the word of God in my heart. Maybe the Easter crowd last week, they got the word of God in their heart and they think, I'm gonna do something about that. I'm really, I'm gonna stick for six, you know? And, but boy, this week was just a tough week for them. And they had money problems and children's problems and, and other family problems. And they got, everything's crowded in their heart. 
You know, I, uh, I know that a lot of uh, people who graduate from high school, most of them drop out of church. But what about the older generation, my, my generation? You know, and I know, that a lot of people come to a church this size because of our programs, because of we have something for their kids. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's the number one stewardship of your life is to raise your children up in the Lord. Nothing wrong with that. I, I applaud you for that. So what happens is they have maybe no spiritual life much in themselves. I mean, you know, they, they say they're Christians, they've been baptized, and, you know, they go to church, and they, they were brought up in church and all that. But the reason they dropped out, and the reason they're getting back in church, they've got this newborn baby, or they've got a teenager suddenly that's having a lot of problems, so they come to church. Then, 10, 15 years later, their children graduate from school. What are they going to do with their life then? A lot of people who come from this word of duns, you know, the people who are done with church, that's what they're saying. We're just done with church. It's in their people in their late 40s, 50s. They've been going to church for a long time. Why? Well, because you had the programs for my, my children. And many of those, and I believe most of the people in our church, and the reason we don't have many of those, but most of the people in our church have gotten it while they're here. Maybe they showed up and they, and they showed up very shallow as a, as a believer even in Christ, or maybe not a believer at all, but they got it while they were here. But some people just don't. Their heart is not softened to that. They have a crowded out heart. So many things going on in their life. I mean, even this morning, maybe they, they, just, they just couldn't. They just could not uh, even come to church and hear the word of God. Why? Oh, man, man, you don't know my schedule, pastor. I'm just worn out. I'm just tired. I had to go here. I had to go there. It's a crowded heart. The world has come and, and taken and choked out the word of God in our life. And so some people don't get it. And so when they're, my goodness, when their children are gone, why go back to church? It served its purpose. And so there's some duns, and you have to ask the question, why? Well, it's the heart. It's the heart problem. Then other people choke it out by worry. You worry, you worry, you worry, you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and God doesn't come through like we want him to come through, and so we sort of drop out. And so there's a crowded heart. Is your heart crowded today? There's a last, lastly. It says in verse um, 23, for as what was sown among good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He even bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30-fold. Four kinds of hearts is the only one that's about salvation. It's called really the Lordship of Christ. Taking my hands off my own life and God, I've come to the place in my life where my heart is convinced that you are the way to heaven and you are the, the, the truth and the life and I can trust you with my heart. I can trust you with eternity. I can trust you with my life. And they receive Christ in their heart. The Bible says because we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead we will be saved. And so, we look at this. What do we learn from it? Remember what, um, in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, I said that this is the key, Jesus says, to understanding all the other stories, all the other parables. Why is that? It's the Isaiah principle. Let's look <clears throat> in verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? I mean, good question, right? Why don't you just come and just, if you want to communicate, just tell us like it is. Just right up front, just show us. And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has more will be given, 
and he will have an abundance from which the one who is not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to you in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So, wow, that's kind of cruel. I just don't understand why a loving God would say such a thing. And one of the great things about preaching through a book of the Bible, you've got to really handle everything. So let's handle something that Jesus said was vitally important for us to understand. And it's all throughout the Bible. In fact, all the way back to Isaiah, he says, indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled when it says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but you never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they, they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn. And I would heal them. And blessed are those whose eyes, for they have to see and, and to hear, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. There's one teaching this parable. There's always one. And here it is. The effectiveness of the Word of God depends on the receptivity of your heart. Watch your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the issues of life. But what about this passage? Man, this is disturbing. What's it saying? The same thing it's saying with the unpardonable, unforgivable sin. When we said, in that illustration, remember that? It says, look, um, the Holy Spirit is sitting there with a couple of candles, and He gives them to you, and you can barely see spiritually, you can kind of barely see. So, wow, I want more. And so the Holy Spirit brings you some more candles. The room begins to light up a little bit and say, ooh, I want more. And too much is given, more is going to be given because you want more. And God keeps bringing in the knowledge, that light representing the knowledge of God. And your heart is soft enough to receive that. And then it, that seed of the Word of God begins to germinate in your heart and you, you receive Christ. It's the same way with the seed. It begins to germinate and germinate and germinate. And then if you say, I don't want it, what happens? Well, God begins to take some of the light away. And then it's not so easy. It's not so clear about receiving the gospel and receiving the word. And then he takes more out and more out. And he says, look, if you want it, you got it. If you don't want it, I'm going to take it away. Well, that's not fair. Okay. Again, the only sin that God will not forgive is a refusal to receive forgiveness. He said, many people, all the way back to Isaiah, when he says, look, the heart of the people is going to turn, he says, but there'll be a remnant. There'll be some that will be soft enough to receive the word. But he says, there are people in the Old Testament times that would long to hear what you're, see, what you're hearing. They would long to see what you're seeing so they could receive the born-again experience that you can receive. A lot of people long for it. And so here's a question. There are people, since there are people all around the world who have never heard the gospel even one time, why is it fear for them to never hear? And you and I hear it over and over and over and over. We hear it on TV. We hear it on <clears throat> on the radio, we come to church and we hear it. We turn on a podcast, we hear it here and hear it there. Somebody else shares the gospel. It's everywhere. Anyone who wants to hear the gospel in our nation can hear it. And yet you have some people for, because they've cut off the light very early in it all, by the way, they've never heard. 
So you're saying it's, it's fair for you to keep on hearing it, keep on saying no, keep on getting harder and harder and harder, Well, there's some people that have never heard. And so Jesus said, look, the effectiveness of the gospel and the effectiveness, effectiveness of the word of God is going to be dependent upon your heart. So what are some lessons we can learn here? There's only one interpretation, but I think there's several nuggets we can gather from this. And in closing, I'll give you these. Number one, the Word of God is a powerful tool in the hand of an almighty God. Powerful. He says, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and spirit, that is convicting of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We, it grows us up. Through the knowledge of God, it convicts us of things that are hurting us in our life so we can get rid of those things and follow God. It, it grows us up and becoming more and more mature in the Lord. It's a powerful, powerful tool in the hand of God. So our hearts need to be softened. But secondly, listen to me very carefully. If I had one word of advice to give you, this would be it. Never, never, never. Say that word with me. Say it again. Be offended by the Word of God. What do you mean by that? I mean, you read the Bible, I didn't know that was in there. So therefore, I, I can't accept this religion because I, I didn't know the, the Bible said that. You're offended by the Bible. You come to church and you hear a message on, hey, you ought to share your faith. You're offended by the Bible because you don't, you don't want to do that, so you don't come back. And then maybe there's a, even a sermon on giving. Boy, that's the, the big thing, right? And you say, man, I'm not giving anything. I'm not going to serve anything. Then you had a whole service uh, or, or a whole worship service about ministry and how we ought to be ministering. And a sign-up table, I'm, I'm offended by that. I'm offended by you're, you're calling uh, something I'm doing in my life a sin, Never be offended by the Word of God, because I can tell you this, this Bible is right. Now, you may be looking at it and saying, well, I don't know what that really means. So you begin to research on what that passage really means. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about being uncomfortable with something. I'm not saying accept it without, being, without a, a certain amount of un, being uncomfortable with it and, and really searching out to see what that means. But when you say, you just cut it off and say, you know, I didn't know the Bible says that. Man, if I, if I told my friends I believe that, I would be ostracized. You see, allowing the world to choke off what's been going on in your life. Thirdly, not only never be offended by the Word of God, but we are as close, this passage teaches us that we're just as close to God as we want to be. I remember a pastor telling a story about um, playing golf with a golf pro. And uh, he's, he's really, this guy was really great. And uh, man, he could hit the ball over 300 yards. He could stick the ball right on the green, make it stop, spin back, um, cut, you know, slice, whatever he wanted to do with the ball. And the pastor said this, he said, I'd give anything if I could play, play golf like you. And the golfer looked at him almost startling and saying, no, you wouldn't. He said, you're unwilling to go out and hit a thousand golf balls every single day. You know, you're unwilling to go out and putt for two hours every single day. You can't do that, not, not where you are, but you, you wouldn't want to do it anyway. He said, you're as good a golfer, really, as you, what you want to be. Well, the same is true with us as believers. We are just as close to God 
as well. Oh, no, I, I wish I could be like a, a Billy Graham. I wish I could be like this guy and this guy. And man, I wish I could. No, you, you, really, you, really, you really don't. I was talking to our um, deacons in training yesterday. I remember when I first came here, I had a, a marker board out. And I asked each one of the deacons, I said, I want you to think about the person that you most admire in life. I said, don't tell me who it is. Just think about that person. Now, as you think about them, I want you to tell me what you admire most about them. And we wrote all these things down on the board. And I said, I want to put an S, then let's go back over these 36 things. I want to put an S beside the one that's a skill and an A besides the one that's an attitude or something we choose for, we can choose to do, right? Has nothing to do with really skill. Okay, let's do that. 33 of them had to do with attitude. One had to do with both, it was evangelism, and two had to do with skill. And the conclusion was, I said, you could be like the most, you could be, you can be like the person you most admire in life. Because what you most admire them in life is the things they've chosen to be. And you can choose the same things. We're as close to God as we want to be. The last thing I'd like to say is, since the Word of God is so important to us, it is imperative that we soften our heart. Soften your heart toward God. Look closely at our life. Repent deeply about our sin. And trust Him completely that He knows better than we know. That we can follow Him in the way because of what He means to our life and who he is and what he's done. So what about you today? You know, you know it's, there's some people here that are thinking to yourself, you know, everybody thinks I'm a believer and I'm a teacher, I'm a deacon, I'm do this, I do that in the church. But what kind of heart do you really have? And then if I can speak to you just for a moment, you're a believer today. But as the Bible says in Colossians, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in him. You see, the principles of salvation and the principles of walking with God are really kind of the same thing. And so you could have a hard heart toward God right now. Unrepentant sin, bitterness in your life, something. You could have a very shallow heart, moved emotionally by the worship, but you know your life's not changing anymore when you walk out of this room. A crowded heart. You cannot even think about the things of God for all your worries in life. Or do you have that soft, pliable heart that's bearing the fruit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, and self-control in your life? Because we're as close to God as we want to be. With heads bowed and eyes closed. This morning, one other thing about a, a seed, it has to die. And Jesus said, like a seed, he has to die and then be raised again in order to multiply himself in our lives. And that's what he did. He died on the cross for our sins. And if you've never received Christ as your Savior and Lord, I mean, you've really not done that. You're not at peace with that. Why don't you pray this prayer right now with me silently as I pray aloud. Lord God, thank you so much for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying there for my sins. I open up the door of my heart. I ask you to come in. Forgive me of all my sins.
I commit my life and my heart to you today. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.